Hello, and welcome to Girl, You're Mental, the number one global hit podcast according to our moms. Only on Girl, You're Mental will you be able to get all your little mentally ill K-pop stripper girl content. On today's episode, we will be discussing the barriers to authentic representation that exist within our given communities and how they are all intertwined. Welcome to Girl, You're Mental. Thank you for that beautiful introduction, Sara. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about the industries and the uh, institutions that really affect our communities here today. Touch on objectification. And then finally, we'll relate to one another on a very personal level. So let's go around the room <laughs> and <laughs> introduce one another. Uh, if you're going to tell by my beautiful voice today, my name is Andrew. We are in a tiny little closet in the learning lab that they've graciously given us. As the only male in the class, Andrew definitely knows how to make people feel uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't think anyone felt uncomfortable. By those comments? By me being in the class or my comments. I think people enjoy them very much. I think people feel uncomfortable when I discuss strippers, but that's for later on. Do you want to become a stripper, Rebecca? No, but I fully support it. For I'm Teresa, and I'm not a stripper. <laughs> Great distinction, Teresa. I'm Rebecca, if you can tell. I'm Sara. That's disappointing. Oh. Um, can we just go around? I don't and think I need to make the distinction of whether or not I'm a stripper. Yeah, she's definitely not. Um, <laughs> so, what are the uh, what are your guys' projects that we've been working so hard on the last couple of weeks? My project is about strippers and their humanizing representation in the film Hustlers. My project is about the sexualization of female minors in the K-pop industry and the factors that contribute to this sense of over-sexualization. Today I'll be talking about the mental health crisis at Harvard and how it affects the students here. I focused in on the importance of countering gender norms in children's television and just the general importance of authentic female representation in children's media and television. You know, that's all amazing. I really love your guys' ideas. So when we're, when we're talking about barriers to these communities, we, we want to look at the institutions and the industries that are affecting them. What are those institutions or industries that are creating these barriers for your guys' groups? So, at least for my project, um, female minors in the K-pop industry are under the authority of male-dominated creative teams and entertainment companies that generate these sexualized concepts which are very unfit for minors. So in terms of cinematography of these music videos, the costumes, the choreography, or even the general visual presentation of these girls, they are all under the direction of male staff members who project the male gaze on these little girls. Yeah, Teresa, that's really interesting because I think even though our projects are arguably quite different in nature. I think that there's this core idea that kind of ties our projects together, which is like we're both focusing on young girls. 
And I think barriers that you're discussing here are very similar to the barriers that like you see in the film industry. So it's that lack of representation on the production side where for so long men have dominated the industry. And so as a result, the representations of women and girls in television are are not as nuanced as you'd hope that they are, as nuanced as um, male characters that we see. So I think we're kind of similar in that way with, with the kind of barriers that we're dealing with, just slightly different industries within the, the entertainment world. In my research, I found a statistic that women only made up 12% of directors working in the 100 top grossing films in 2021. And how this applies to stripper movies is traditionally stripper movies have objectified women and shown them as just sexual objects on screen, mostly pole dancing or stripping on stage. But Hustlers presents a different view of these women stripping. It shows them their lives outside of the strip club. Why do they strip? They, they have families to support. They're mothers. They support each other in their own communities. So it's these strip clubs that are are the the industries that are acting as the barrier for these women. I think you can think about it both ways, right? So there's the strip clubs themselves, and then there's the movies about these strip clubs that are reinforcing bad stereotypes about strippers. It's crazy that that's what's happening. Um, no, my my topic's a little little out there in the blue mental health. Um, I mean, it affects everyone, but specifically here at Harvard, there's just a crisis and it's, it's not good. Um, I'd say Harvard as an institution um, does a fantastic job uh, with creating these barriers and not responding to the mental health crisis. And so there's so many things that the administration does um, and even the students play a part in uh, creating a toxic campus environment that really enforces the institution's ability to just destroy people's mental health and not really provide the adequate resources to help them. Andrew, what are the specific barriers at Harvard? I would say probably the biggest barrier is there's just really a lack of infrastructure. I mean, the average wait time now to see a clinician at CAMS, uh, which is our our mental health services, it's at least six weeks. Uh, And so that's almost... A, a half a semester and so for some people that really just isn't an option uh, when you're struggling for half a semester by the time you get that initial appointment and you're able to make a consultation and start seeing a clinician regularly I mean you're probably so far behind in your work that really there's no point in catching up you might as well just drop your classes when you're starting off with that like that is a terrible place to be six weeks behind in your work and it, you, it's almost impossible to get caught up so then What I'm hearing from what Rebecca has said before and what Andrew has said before is that there is some sense of the male gaze theory being applied here in terms of minority groups and just groups in in general being objectified in ways. Um, And this objectification doesn't always have to be from a sexual perspective, but it could also be from the position of being degraded in a way or dismissed or ignored so Sara, maybe do you guys do you want to talk about um how the male gaze applies to the girls in the film industry something really interesting that came up in 
my research was I was able to do a one-on-one interview with the creator of the show of which I focused on, um, Dino Dana. So um, the the creator of the show, his name is JJ Johnson. Um, He also is a co-founder of the production company Sinking Ship Entertainment, which is one of the number one media production companies for children in the world. And in terms of the male gaze and just the role that that plays, something really, really interesting that he said that immediately reminded me of the kind of work that we've been doing and what we've been learning in class about the male gaze was that in in the interview, he mentioned that, you know, writers, whether they're, they're doing it intentionally or not, are always writing to their own experience. And yes, a good writer should be able to write about, you know, anything really, but everybody has an implicit bias and you're always kind of going to write to your own experiences, your own feelings, the way you view the world and and your role in it. And so when he was talking about the way in which he used to write, he said that he used to write with with his childhood in mind when he's writing these these shows for kids you know he would write male leads because that's where he he could relate the most where he saw himself what felt most authentic to him and that was his way of creating authentic representation but when he learned about the the statistics of how poor female representation was in the film and television industry um, he kind of shifted that and and from there started creating more female leads and he initially did that by just simply swapping the ideas that he had of shows with male leads and just simply swapping the gender and from there that barrier that we talked about before of like there not being um authentic representations of women in film or in TV um, or whatever it may be or in, in music videos and K-pop, you know, our, our, our topics are very different. So we kind of have to include everything here. Um, but that barrier that, that you face was kind of um, navigated by him by just swapping the genders because he already had a very nuanced character, a very complex character. It was just male. So by just swapping the gender, he he kind of got around falling into those like gender stereotypes and tropes that come with often come with um, female leads in, in film and television. Um, So in that sense, um, the male gaze, that's kind of how the male gaze played a role in, in my work um, and how I kind of interpreted it um, through, through my research and, and what, I focused on. Andrew, is is there any way in which the male gaze and objectification can kind of relate to mental health? I know it's a obscure way of like connecting the two, but how could that how could that happen? I agree that it's a little obscure, but I think there's a connection that we can make here with the fact that the university administration, I would say, is objectifying the students. I mean, they they just see us as these cash gals that are paying 80 grand in tuition a year and they're still refusing to build the infrastructure necessary to protect the lives of their students and I mean really their main concern is ensuring that we're not liabilities Uh, if you go to cams or your resident dean and you tell them like look I am struggling I I'm uh, thinking of harming myself they will force you to take a leave of absence and dismiss you from the school 
uh, until you can prove that you're mentally better. But the purpose for doing that is ensuring that when you do go to harm yourself, and hopefully this doesn't happen, but if someone commits suicide, they don't want it to be on campus. That is their primary goal with that decision is to get you off campus so their legal liability is not as uh, important there. So, I mean, really, the university is objectifying their students by ensuring um, that they're as little of a liability as possible. Do any of you guys relate to that objectification at all? My topic definitely surrounds the idea of objectification immensely just because, since I mentioned before, that the creative team designs music videos and song lyrics that appeal to the male gaze, the K-pop minors are often objectified. And also considering that fan bases include males, especially for female K-pop groups, they will purposefully use camera angles, different types of lighting, and even costumes to emphasize, I guess, certain body parts of these females despite the fact that they are minors and cannot legally give consent to these said actions and especially for my project I examined one particular music video um, by the girl group La Seraphim called Fearless and something that was very interesting was that the two main directors of photography are both male meaning that the camera angle choices were at the discretion of these males and were generated to appeal to the male gaze well before the male public even had access to this music video. So having a male photography team forces K-pop girl group members to have the male gaze up front as audience members, which is compounded by the male gaze of the production team, especially since they are receiving the first viewing and editing of the shoot. Rebecca, did you have any thoughts on this? In Hustlers, they were definitely aware of how lighting traditionally places women as objects. And instead of using traditional like 360 degrees panoramic lighting, they used top lighting. And the Hustler cinematography director, Todd Bonanzi, explains that they wanted to achieve a godfather look. And if anybody has seen The Godfather, what they do is, by lighting them from the top, they illuminate the faces of the mafia characters, which places them in an all-powerful and in-control way. And to emphasize the disparity between the person in power and the people with none, the top light shines on The Godfather, while the others are all in the dark. So similarly, in Hustlers, they use this top-laying technique to emphasize the difference between the veteran stripper Ramona and the new girl Destiny and they place her even though she's pole dancing she's not objectified she's shown as an athlete she's shown in control and skilled in her movements and that's just one way how hustlers subverts the male gaze by using a traditionally male dominated lighting technique on women.
So Teresa is kind of agreeing with the objectification in her area, whereas your your topic is really subverting that male gaze, that objectification, um, and, and showing these strippers in a, a good light and with what they're doing. That's very interesting. And while mine is very different, I mean, there's a, a huge uh, difference between uh, a little girl who, who loves dinosaurs um, and, and a children's preschool show um and a movie about strippers but i think there is a connection in the way in which you know these female leads are portrayed obviously the subject matter is completely different the context of the show is 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 vastly different but um i think the the way in which each of these given projects are able to subvert the male gaze through um, through their work. Um, it is very similar. Um, and and Rebecca, what you were talking about about like top lighting and whatnot, the same thing also happens in Dino Dana, where the shots are intentionally um, made to just showcase her and what she's doing there's there's no objectification of her the you can even go into talking about wardrobe the way Teresa was like the wardrobe that all of the female characters wear on Dino Dana are quite modest in nature just like completely getting rid of any sort of objectification or sexualization of minors on the show which I find really interesting how like our projects are so different from each other but when we start talking about you know the barriers that each of us kind of faced at our given given projects we we see that things are far more intertwined um, and interconnected than than we'd expect yeah I really agree that somehow we're able to find this connection between all of our projects and I'm I'm really curious I would like to know what does the mental health in your guys' areas look like? How does that relate to the mental health of college students? And are there problems with mental health? Are your people able to seek out help when they need it? How does that work? In the public eye of the K-pop industry, they like to keep a lot of the issues and any struggles with mental health under wraps most of the time. And especially for minors who are often being told what to do from these creative production teams and the CEOs of these large entertainment companies. They often would try to suppress any emotions or opinions that they have on any step of the process of making these music videos, especially because public image is so important to these K-pop idols. And also because they are so dependent on the opinions and impressions that they make on others that a lot of the times they have to and are forced to suppress whatever they are feeling inside regardless of whether or not they feel comfortable um, wearing these very explicit costumes or singing about topics that they aren't exactly fit to sing considering that they are under 18 a lot of the time. So I would say that in the K-pop industry, these male-dominated creative teams 
are fueling a cycle of both external and internal suppression. External because, first of all, these miners are being told what to do by these producers and these photographers and these costume designers, but also internal because these miners are at a stage where they fully don't even understand what they are singing or how they are being sexualized. Yet, even if they feel a little bit of discomfort, they still have to go along with whatever they are told, which is why their mental health is at stake. Another problem with the male gaze in general when you're watching a film is not only how the characters are feeling objectified, but also how does the audience respond to seeing the male gaze and it being reiterated in every form of media and entertainment? Well, when films present women as nothing more than sexual objects, then that exact same process is going to be replicated in real life, and men and women alike are going to see women as sexual objects. And men will strengthen their existing patriarchal connection with women, and women would just self-objectify themselves. And that definitely has negative implications on the mental health of women and men alike. In terms of mental health and the way that kind of plays a role on my end, I really focused in on cultivation theory, which suggests that the, the media that we're consuming, the content that we're seeing every day, all has a major effect on the way we perceive ourselves and the way we perceive the world, especially in children, because children are, you know, they're like sponges. We're absorbing, when we're growing up, we're absorbing everything around us um, and we're internalizing a lot of it. As a result, when when we're talking about representations of women and girls in in television and on screen that is something that gets internalized so when there's gender norms that are perpetuated harmful gender-based stereotypes those are all things that children kind of soak up and then later on in life they either think in a certain way about women or if they are women themselves or girls themselves they think about themselves in a certain way and I think that kind of plays into what Rebecca just mentioned for today I think that's going to be um are going to be our stopping point we talked about a lot of great stuff today on our next episode of girl you're mental we're going to be tackling some of the solutions to these barriers and these institutions and their industries and uh, we'll really talk about how we can uh, find solutions uh with that we'll go ahead and close it out girl Girl, you're you're mental. mental